So please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And I want to call this message, What Does God Think About Christmas? And I looked at my list of videos this morning. And the last time I looked at Christmas was four years ago. So we are due to reappraise the subject of Christmas, which in the UK is big business. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Look at verse 6, please. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgments and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So in the context, 6 and 7 is dealing with the first advent and the second advent. For unto us, the children of Israel, a child is born. Unto us, the chosen race, a son is given. Going back to the Son of God, of course. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. For here and now, it's a spiritual kingdom. But one day, it will be a literal kingdom. And his name shall be called Wonderful, comma, Counselor, comma, the mighty God. This term, the mighty God, in Hebrew means El Gabor. And if you ever speak to a Jehovah's Witness, take him to this piece of scripture and ask them to explain this to you. Jesus Christ is called the mighty God, capital G. The everlasting father, the prince of peace. This trips certain Christians up. And I've noticed in recent weeks that some Christians on YouTube are deviating from classical Trinitarian theology and are suggesting that Jesus Christ is God the Father. Keep your hand in Isaiah chapter 9 and go to John uh, chapter 12. A quick and yet very important detour. I'm a Trinitarian and I believe that there is only one God. And one God has appeared in three persons. Old Testament, New Testament. John chapter 12. Uh, John chapter 12. Look at verse uh, 45 please. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. Jesus Christ is the express image of the invisible God. And I did this over the years. I'll say it one more time very quickly that if you had been privileged to have seen Jesus Christ, you would have seen Almighty God. Everything about Jesus Christ represents Almighty God. Or put it this way, everything about Almighty God was found in the person of Jesus Christ. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Look at verse 9, please. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? So again, Jesus Christ is speaking to the apostles, and he's saying quite simply this, that if you had seen me, and of course for three and a half years, they had seen Jesus Christ like every day of the week, then they were seeing Almighty God. They were seeing the works of the Father performed, carried out by the Son of God. But of course, Jesus Christ is not God the Father. God the Father is not the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wouldn't be praying to himself. Jesus Christ wouldn't be speaking to himself. It's very important that we get this clear. Go back to Isaiah chapter 9, 6 again. For unto us a child is born, first advent, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, first coming, feeding into the thousand-year reign of Christ. 
and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, concerning his relationship to Israel. Jesus Christ is called the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. A king in the Old Testament was a man, obviously, and a king in the Old Testament was also a family man. Jesus Christ had no literal children, he had spiritual children. We are his spiritual children today, but in the context this is dealing with Israel. The Messiah was the Messiah of Israel, and therefore here, as far as Israel is concerned, he is their everlasting father. He isn't God the Father. God the Father is the first part of the Godhead, God the Son the second, God the Holy Ghost the third, but here it's speaking about the Messiah's relationship to Israel, and perhaps feeding into the, the new earth during the thousand year reign of course. The Prince of Peace, Advent 1, Advent 2. Verse 7 again, and I move on. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Now, for now, we are living in the spiritual kingdom of God. But one day the Lord will come back and he'll rule and reign on the new earth for 1,000 years and also via New Jerusalem for 1,000 years. So, spiritual kingdom and a physical kingdom. And here, Isaiah writing 700 years before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is covering two dispensations. And most Christians miss it or overlook it and end up spiritualizing such a passage and, and uh, miss out on a great blessing. Upon a throne of David, son of David, son of Joseph. If you speak to Jews, if you speak to liberal Jews, they hold to the son of Joseph, and they say that the son of Joseph is Israel. If you speak to conservative Jews, they say that Israel is technically the son of David. And they say that Isaiah 53 is speaking about the son of Joseph. And they say that Isaiah 53 is dealing with Israel's sufferings over the past two, three, four, maybe 5,000 years. They completely overlook the fact that Isaiah 53 is speaking about a man. Of course, that man is the Messiah. Increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. First coming, second coming, upon a throne of David, a literal throne. And I'll come back to that in a moment. And upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. An everlasting kingdom, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So, so far, we're off to a good start. But this subject is about Christmas. And this piece of scripture from Isaiah chapter 9 is read every year, and quite rightly so, because this is Christmas time. Go to Jeremiah chapter 10, and Christmas is big business in the UK. Just yesterday, after we finished our outreach, I went to my supermarket to get some shopping, a lot of people queuing up, probably three times more than usual. And I saw people before me and behind me queuing up to get their alcohol. A lot of people drink alcohol around Christmas time. A lot of people couldn't get through Christmas without alcohol. And I've noticed something else over the years that every Christmas time, in fact, the first two weeks of December, the TV channels churn out a lot of commercials. And I don't watch much television, but when I do watch television, I have to mute the commercials. I can't stand the commercials. And I've noticed a trend over the years, and still, uh, still go to uh, Jeremiah 10, get Jeremiah 10, I'll get there in a minute. And I've noticed this over the years, that around October time, the powers that be stopped uh, promoting Halloween. And Halloween is big business in the UK. And towards the end of October, just before the end of Halloween, they stopped uh, promoting Christmas. In America, you've got uh, Thanksgiving between Halloween and Christmas, and that's also a very important day in America. We don't have that in the UK. We have Halloween, unfortunately, and Christmas. 
And this past Halloween, we went into a local hardware shop. And Patrick was looking for some tools to do some work. And he couldn't find the tools that he wanted. And you say, why would that be? Well, quite simply, they, they cleared the shelves to put Halloween stuff up. Halloween is big business. And around Halloween time, they start pushing uh, Christmas. And I've noticed this, that the first two weeks of December especially, they will push food in supermarkets. They will push cakes. They will push drink, tobacco, everything under the sun. And they'll say this, buy two and get one free. And this goes on for four or five weeks. And they push this, I mean, every day on the commercial channels in the UK. And people watch television. I think the average person spends 40 hours a week watching television in the UK. And they watch this stuff. They lap it all up. They go to the local supermarkets. They buy all their food, like yesterday. People over Christmas eat more than they would normally, drink more than they would normally, put on weight. And after Christmas, like the 1st of January... All those commercials have dropped, and they have on the television channels Weight Watchers, Slim World. Sign up now, get 12 months for six months, or six months for 12 months, whatever. And it's very carefully done, very skillfully done. They spend weeks pushing Christmas, they spend weeks pushing Halloween. People spend a lot of money. I heard of one account of a lady last year, I think it was somewhere in Sheffield. And she spent, I think, £2,000 buying presents for her children. She had to borrow the money to buy presents for her children. And she spent the next 18 months paying it off. People go crazy around Christmas time. Get them into the supermarkets. Buy, 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 buy. Panic buying. And people, like I say, put on weight over Christmas. They get very bloated. They start to get conscious that they've eaten too much. They've drunk too much. And then the 1st of January comes around. And like I say, you get the other batch of commercials coming in. Start slimming. They get you both ways. And every year, suckers fall for it. Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10. Uh, look at verse 1, please. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the ways of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the waxman with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. They are upright as a palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also is it in them to do good. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. I've listened to sermons over the last few weeks, some on the subject of Christmas, some on general uh, themes of living in a modern uh, post-Christian world. And I've heard sermons by people like Peter Ruckman. I've heard sermons by people like John MacArthur. I've seen uh, sermons online from people like Robert Schuller, that old apostate in uh, California, long dead, of course, and I've noticed over the years that a good number of these household name preachers have all, or nearly all, have got caught up in Christmas. And I heard Rutman say that he had no problem celebrating Christmas. He had no problem having a tree in his house. He had no problem telling his five, six, and he had ten children all in all that Christmas was okay. And I've heard the same from MacArthur and uh, Schuller. And here's the problem with that. Number one, if you are 
a safe parent, if you are a pastor and you lie to your children about Santa, or as he's called here, Father Christmas, in fact, Santa actually means Satan, if you just turn the words around slightly. If you lie to your children about Santa or Father Christmas, they will grow up and quite lightly wonder whether or not you lied about Jesus and Almighty God. Children are not stupid. Yes, we have liberty in the Lord, and I'll get there in a few minutes, but I am somewhat concerned when I hear sermons from people like Peter Ruttman, Long With The Lord, John MacArthur, and I know these people have theological problems, and Robert Schuller, I'm just giving you three names off the top of my head. I am concerned that they have compromised, and not just compromised, they've gone over completely to the uh, acceptance of Christmas and got caught up in the whole hysteria. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel, 10.1. So in the context, Jeremiah is a Jew speaking to the Jews in Babylon. They're in captivity. They are at the mercy of the heathen. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the ways of the heathen. Don't be contaminated with the ways of the unsaved. And be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. A lot of people will be looking up to heaven, stargazing, feeding into the Magi's, and i get there in a few moments, for the heathen are dismayed at them. A lot of heathen, a lot of uh, astronomers spend a lot of time looking up at the skies, at the uh, objects which they are very interested to follow, and it's big business, and these stargazers spend a lot of time looking up at the stars, and yet the star of stars, the son of God, the author of life, is the one they should be really focusing on. Three, for the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest. The work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. Here we go, verse four. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. This is clearly a prophecy about what we are seeing today. And of course, if you follow history, if you go back to the Babylonian captivity, if you study pagan religions, you know within five minutes that... This uh, practice was carried out back in the day. And here we are, what, 3,000 years later, still doing it. Five, they are upright as a palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. So quite clearly, this tree has some kind of a religious connotation to it. Now, for our perspective, we know that a tree is nothing. We know that gold and silver is nothing. We know that decorations are nothing in of themselves. But we need to approach this from the standpoint of Scripture. Six, for as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. So quite clearly, Jeremiah wants the Jews to know that this practice, this this, uh, custom, is something which the Lord has no interest in. Go down to verse uh, 14, please. Verse 14. Every man is brutish in his knowledge. Every founder is confounded by the graven image. For his molten image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. So this tree, innocent in the eyes of millions of people around the world, saved and unsaved, as far as God is concerned, is a graven image. And this will go back, or this will feed into my study, probably the week after next, we go through the Ten Commandments, like idolatry, a major sin which crosses both testaments. Fifteen, they are vanity and the work of errors. In the time of their visitation, they shall perish. 
the portion of Jacob is not like them. For he is the former of all things, and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Don't get caught up in this. Jehovah is very clear to the Jews that were under Gentile occupation, if you will. Don't get caught up in this this sort of carry-on, this custom. I have no interest in such. 21. For the pastors are become brutish and have not sought the Lord. Therefore they shall not prosper and all their flocks shall be scattered. Behold, the noise of the brute is come and a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah desolate and a den of dragons. The north country, Lapland, far north. Sand is coming from the north. It's clearly a counterfeit. And here, this warning, this very clear warning, is given to Israel, and I would suggest vicariously to the church not to get caught up in this heathen practice. 25, pour out thy fury upon the heathen that know thee not. And upon the families that call not on thy name. For they have eaten up Jacob and devoured him and consumed him and have made his habitation desolate. Clearly double application. Clearly first and foremost in reference to the Jews in captivity. Not to get caught up in what was going on all around them. But also I would suggest in reference to the here and now. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Like I say this is trans-testimonial. And as you know, I'm currently going through the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. I am preparing for my study on the Ten Commandments, having a great blessing. I've got probably ten pages of notes lined up for next year. And I read this a few nights ago. I thought, very interesting. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 16. Deuteronomy chapter 16. Look at verse 21, please. Thou shalt not plant near a grove of any trees near unto the altar of the Lord thy God, which thou shalt make thee. Neither shalt thou set thee up any image which the Lord thy God hateth. Tree, image, hated. I hate any tree, any image. Thou shalt not plant thee a grove of any trees near unto the altar of the Lord thy God. In the context, a literal altar, old covenant, Near the tabernacle for the New Testament, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And as I say, this, as I understand it to be, is transcultural, it's trans-testimonial. Thou shalt not plant near a grove of any trees near unto the altar of the Lord thy God, which thou shalt make thee. Going back to Jeremiah chapter 10, 22. Neither shalt thou set thee up any image which the Lord thy God hateth. And I've discovered this over the last few weeks, that idolatry is the main sin in both testaments and those that practice idolatry in both testaments will experience a perpetual curse going to the third and the fourth generation but in the context this from Deuteronomy 16 is in reference to a Canaanite deity many deities many deities in the old testaments and the Jews time after time got caught up in this worship of pagan deities it would cost Solomon 30 years off his life Go to Revelation chapter 11, Revelation chapter 11, a great verse to really affirm futurism. Never mind what people say that the Jesuits uh, created uh, futurism. They didn't write the Bible. This book is supernatural. The Jesuits can be blamed for a lot of things, but they can't be blamed for futurism. Uh, Revelation 11, Revelation 11, look at verse 7 please. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit 
shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And the dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord is crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see the dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer the dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. Seven again. And when they should have finished their testimony, two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, quite likely, the beast Antichrist that ascendeth, that ascended out of the bottomless pit, shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. He will kill them. Their dead bodies, eight, shall lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Jerusalem, of course. Not New Jerusalem, but earthly Jerusalem. And the term Sodom and Egypt simply means that when the Antichrist arrives, could be quite soon, he will be either a Sodomite or sympathetic to such. And there'll be great wickedness in Jerusalem. And these two people are going to be put to death. It's going to be seen... And I mean, the whole world will see it like live on television. Nine, and they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer, not allow their dead bodies to be put in graves. That was contempt. It was never permitted back in the Old Testament for the Jews to allow their dead to just lie on the streets for the dogs to come along and just eat up their remains. The Catholic Church were guilty of that concerning Cromwell. Charles II had his body dug up, his head cut off, and put on a pole for some 20 plus years. Never once was Charles rebuked for that. That's a violation of the spirit and letter of the Old Testaments. 10. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry like Merry Christmas. This could happen on Christmas Day. And shall send gifts one to another. Because these two prophets, Moses and Elijah, tormented them that dwelt on the earth, like, you better repent, turn or burn, that kind of thing. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, made them alive, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them, which saw them. Live on CNN, live on the BBC, live on Fox News. 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 75 years ago, pretty much impossible, but not now. So Christmas gifts, having a party is something which people are still doing today. Going back to Jeremiah chapter 10, taking place, what, 500 years before Christ? And one of the reasons why it's so popular in Britain is because most Brits are secular, and most Brits want to do something. Most Brits want to enjoy themselves around this time of the year. And I looked online this morning to see when Christmas was first Christianized, and it was 336 AD by Constantine. Go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Look at verse 9, if you will, please. But now, after that, ye have known God, or rather, are known of God. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereon ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Did you get that? One more time. But now, after that... Ye have known God, or rather are known of God, new birth, through faith in Christ alone. How turn ye again to the weak 
and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire, ye desire again to be in bondage. Ye observe days and months and times and years. You keep Christmas. You keep Hanukkah, do you? You keep Easter. You keep Passover, do you? You're very religious, aren't you? This is what Paul is saying. I am afraid of you, verse 11, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Chapter 3, 1, 2, and 3 makes the case very clear that these people weren't saved by doing religion. They were saved by believing. Go to Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. Christians don't like to be the old ones out. Christians like to be part of a group. Understandable. Zechariah chapter 2. Look at verse 6, please. Ho, ho, cometh forth, and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, saith the Lord. He comes from the north. He comes in a sledge. He sees if you are good or bad. He's been watching you. Santa Claus, Father Christmas, Santa being Satan. In fact, back in the Dark Ages, there was a guy called St. Nicholas. And in the UK, the term Nick, if you didn't know, is Old English. It's slang for Satan. And what the old boys and the old girls would say this. They say, uh, Nick nearly got me. And you say, what do they mean? Well, Nick means a devil. Nick nearly got me. Or in the UK, we say this. We say, uh, I hope that guy gets nicked. It's a term for taken. It's like, I hope the police come along and arrest such and such. Go to Matthew chapter 2. What you've just seen from Zechariah chapter 2 is a counterfeit. Satan, Santa, is a counterfeit. Santa Claus is a counterfeit of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Look at verse 1, please. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. Amen to that. I like that. Look at verse 10, please. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures... They presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. They worshipped Jesus, not Mary. They gave gifts to Jesus, like gold, frankincense, and myrrh, because Jesus Christ is priest, prophet, and king. Mary didn't get a look in. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 26, please. And in six months, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her, and said, Hail, thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. You are blessed, you are greatly favoured among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. What type of greeting is this? And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. Great favour with God. You've been plucked, you've been chosen for service, not salvation. And this will be wonderful news for you. 31, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus, meaning Jehovah saves. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Going back to Isaiah chapter nine. 
house of Jacob, house of Israel, second coming, never mind replacement theology, the Lord is not through with Israel yet. 34, then said Mary unto the angel, how should this be? Seeing and are not, amen. I've kept myself pure. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. 38. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord bid unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Jump down to 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. So much material. Matthew speaks about the Magi's, the astrologers coming into Jerusalem, picturing the second advent. They go to the king, an apostate king, picturing the Antichrist, the second coming. They say, hey, where's the king of the Jews that has been born? And the king, the apostate king, consults the apostate priests like the Antichrist would do in the tribulation. They say, "Uh, Bethlehem, we believe. And off they go, finding the king. He is around 18 months of age. Most films get this wrong. If you watch films like Ben-Hur, especially Ben-Hur, they got the wise men and the shepherds all arriving at the same time. That's incorrect. The shepherds came when Christ was like a few hours old, just like a newborn, picturing intimacy, picturing the believing remnant, picturing the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is for those of us which are saved. And the wise men, like I say, is in reference to the second coming of Christ. It says when he comes back, every eye will see him, wailing, weeping, people running from him, people not particularly interested in his return because men loved uh, darkness rather than light because of deeds are evil. And 47 speaks about Mary rejoicing in God, her savior. She was a sinner just like you and I. Go to Romans chapter 14. So if you think of Christmas, Christ mass, if you think of this time of the year, If you are a saved person, and if you watch videos online about this subject, you know that there are pretty much two positions. One is that you can do what you want, it's all good. And the other, you cannot do what you want. Going back to Galatians 4, and here, Romans 14 needs to be read. Romans 14, Romans 14, look at verse 5, please. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. So of course, you have liberty, you've just read it. You have to weigh this up in reference or in uh, parallel to the Galatians passage. You've got two statements written by the same man saying two different things. Here he says it's no big deal. Galatians, he says it is a big deal. Not a contradiction. The Galatians were keeping uh, keeping holy days. The Galatians were Gentiles. They were keeping, for example, Christmas. They were keeping, for example, Hanukkah. They were keeping, for example, Pentecost, the Sabbath or other Jewish feast days, perhaps Easter, general feast days, and they were doing so in order to somehow please the Lord. When he writes Romans, he's coming from the same subject, but from a slightly different angle. And here he's saying that you have liberty to do what you do, 
but be careful that you don't do so to somehow make yourself more spiritual. Go to Malachi chapter 1, and I'll pull these, uh, these verses together shortly. Malachi chapter 1. I read this this morning. Very relevant. Uh, Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1, the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 1. Uh, look at verse 7, if you will, please. Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? In reference to the apostate Jews, and I would suggest in reference to unsaved people today. People that will be celebrating Christmas, getting drunk, cursing, casting, blaspheming, singing carols. How about that? And the Lord hates it. Nine. And now I pray you, beseech God, that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught? I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. So again, you've got apostate Israel getting up to no good and still going through the motions, going to the temple, going to the synagogue, offering up their flawed sacrifices like uh, Cain would do. The Lord is condemning them, and quite rightly so. But prophetically, like double application, we can read these passages and apply them to people today, especially unsaved people that are going to go to church over Christmas. They're going to sing carols. They're going to be religious for an hour or two. They're going to drink too much. They're going to eat too much. They're going to fight with their relatives. And they will do so thinking that somehow they are all good to go. And God hates it. He hates unsaved people around this time of the year singing Away in a Manger, O Royal Star of Bethlehem, and all the other great carols that picture the new birth. And such people are not saved. Such people hate the Lord. And as such, the Lord just is going to destroy them when they die. So, let me wrap this message up and pull these verses together and say this. The Christmas tree, if you want, could picture the tree of life. It could picture Jesus Christ dying on a cursed tree. Galatians chapter 3. The lights. Could picture Jesus being the lights of the world. John chapter 8. Matthew chapter 5. The word of God says to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The food that people will be eating over Christmas could picture the breaking of bread, which those of us which are saved break every week, like 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And they could also be in reference to, or that could also be in reference to the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19. For the record, I've been saved 15 years, never purchased a tree. Since I've been saved, I've got no tree, I've got no lights, I've got no decorations, not interested. That's my uh, position that's what I believe I would say this that yes you have liberty to keep Christmas if you want but I think the tree is problematic 
The tree is problematic, and it was problematic for the Old Testament and for the New Testament. The tree is an image, and I read it to you. It's an idol. It's a graven image. God hates it. So now you have a tr- uh, now you have a problem. If you are a saved person and you've got a tree in your house, you've got a problem. I would suggest this: that if you haven't got a tree, don't go out and get a tree. I see nothing wrong with having friends and family over to enjoy a meal or two,、uh, especially if they are saved. Read the Word of God together, sing some carols together, pray together, have fellowship together. If they're not saved, it's going to be difficult for you. I remember a friend of mine many years ago saying that he hated Christmas, and I said, "Why was that?" And he said, "Well, every Christmas we are all thrown together in a room for two or three days. You are stuck with people that you don't normally see, and you can't go anywhere. You're locked into that awful environment for, as I say, two or three days." Most of those people that you are stuck with for two or three days, you rarely hear from the rest of the year. And he's, you know, he was he was right. He was absolutely right. It's like Christmas cards. You get a Christmas card once a year from somebody that you don't hear from the rest of the year. People want to do something. People feel a need to stay in contact. I don't know. So get rid of the tree. That'd be my advice based on the, the verses I've given you. Nothing wrong with having a meal. Nothing wrong with spending time with friends and family. Although, if they're unsaved, it'll be somewhat torturous for you. You might like to know that the Jehovah's Witnesses celebrated Christmas up until 1928, and they did so with、uh, Judge Rutherford. And then one year, Rutherford decided to cancel Christmas, like Castro would do in Cuba. And since 1928, the JWs don't celebrate Christmas. In fact, they would sing hymns. Up until around the same time, and then Rutherford declared infallibly that hymns were out. And when he died, was it 1941, 1942? I think it was, or thereabouts. After he died, the JWs were able to sing hymns again. I know this is all man-made stuff, but it's worth being aware of this. So Christmas is a rush. It's a period where people are panic buying. In the UK, everything shuts down on Christmas Day, but the following day, being Boxing Day. Everything opens again, and it's business as usual. The commercials are going to try and sell you everything, from food, cakes, alcohol, tobacco, to everything else you can imagine. Scratch cards, gambling, this and that. They want you to buy, buy, buy. You get fat, you get、uh, bloated, like I say. And then around the first of January, Weight Watchers join our club, get your weight down, etc., etc., and they charge you for that as well. They get you before Christmas. They get you afterwards. Officially, Christmas was Christianized, 336 A.D. by Constantine, a Brit who was the emperor, of course, in Rome. And now everybody keeps Christmas. It's a big, big deal in the UK. Muslims, Jews, atheists, Hindus, and others all enjoy Christmas, and they do so in spite of Christ, not because of Christ. They push him out. They have no interest in Christ. It's all about the tree, the lights, the presents, the food, the family, the television, this and that, and they do so because they are pagans. Around two years ago, I remember、uh, watching television over the Christmas period, and at the bottom of the screen, they have what's called the ticker, and the ticker goes across the screen. You may have seen it on the news channels. It says "Breaking News," and it's called a ticker, and this ticker. Went across my screen, and not just my screen, but others in the UK. And it said this: It said, "If you are not enjoying Christmas, if you are very depressed, if you feel very lonely, 
please phone the Samaritans. Many people around Christmas time get very depressed. Many people around Christmas time take their own lives. I don't quite know why Christmas is for some a blessing and for others a curse, but it is. And some of these people get very depressed, very upset. And also around Christmas time, many people get divorced as well. People don't like to be thrown together, and yet they are thrown together through peer pressure. They're stuck in rooms, like I say, with family and friends, many times unsaved. A lot of blasphemy, a lot of filthy talk, a lot of foolish jesting, a lot of drinking, overeating, television, uh, Xbox stuff, etc., etc., etc. And Christ is completely pushed out. No interest in him. This is all about the humanism side of everything. And this is what gets up. God knows. And he, in fact, it says, it says he hates it. Not just that, well, you, you know, you have liberty. No, I hate it. I hate the trees. I hate all of that pagan stuff because it's all tied in with pagan worship. Going back to Babylon. And that's why the Jews spent 70 years in Babylon because they were idolaters. They were guilty of idolatry. Get rid of the tree if you're saved. Get rid of the decorations if you're saved. Nothing wrong with presents. Nothing wrong with eating modestly. Let your moderation be known among all men. Don't go crazy. Don't overindulge in anything like that because, as I say, it's problematic. And keep your eyes firmly on the Lord Jesus Christ. And like I say, up until 336 AD, nobody was celebrating it. The early church didn't celebrate Christmas, and nor would they celebrate Easter either. And I'll close it there.